we got married in uh, India, uh, I think 2008. Okay, so my wife is good with the dates. So if it's not correct, check, please check with her. That's 2008, yeah. And uh, um, so, and Catherine had a fantastic idea of planning a honeymoon, uh, and she'd never been to India, and she thought, oh, this is an amazing place. You, if you know India, India is the seventh largest country in the world, and it's too big. And we have a small number of people with 1.3 now, billion people. So she wants to go from here to there and there, there and we have a little car. So she completely underestimated the, the road situation, the time you take, uh, the time to get up, and all these kind of things, you know. So I drove nearly 3,000 miles for our honeymoons, you know. That is our honeymoon was mainly in our car seats, you know. <laughs> okay, so uh, there are exciting moments, you know. So there are lots of good things happen. And uh, so uh, in terms of stops kind of things, you know, so in terms of toilet breaks, we don't have public toilets in every petrol station, you know, so uh, trees are the best for men, you know, so as long as there is a tree, we are comfortable, you know, so, so we can jump out and, you know, relax, come back, you know, so and it's uh, environmentally friendly, less pollution, less water usage, lots of things are there. Uh, for women, it's a little bit tricky, you know, so, uh, it's, uh, so one time we were traveling from one city to other city, and Catherine is desperate to go to toilet, you know, so, Okay, I was uh, looking, okay, honey, uh, you want to go to the toilet? Okay, oh, it's, it's, it's just fine. The moment she said, I just uh, break my car. <laughs> Catherine said, what, in India? You know, so everywhere toilet, you know. You just, the moment you ask me for a toilet, I just stop. Okay, come with me. I went to one of the houses and knock their door, you know. Okay, so Catherine said, goodness me, what's going on? And somebody opened, then I said, this is my wife, and she wants to go to... Uh, to use your uh, toilet, you know, so she's desperate. And uh, they said, come in, come in. The, the next time I saw that, there's a lady wrapped in kind of a big bed sheet or something. She's soaking wet. She came out from the bath. She was having a shower and stood outside there. And you go to toilet, you know, just like, uh, so she was there and there and excited, you know. Is that your wife? Yes, it's my wife, you know. So, and... Uh, <laughs> We are having all that con friendly conversation. And uh, Catherine went there and came back within like a 22 uh, one minute time. And, uh, and she said, bye. She went inside. We went outside. You know. So this is something crazy for a Westerner, you know. You will probably call 999. <laughs> you know, call an intruder, you know, just like a, uh, uh, so, but, uh, why am I saying these kind of things this morning? Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's the cultural difference in uh, different contexts. So today my uh, talk is going to be a little bit cultural aspects and trying to understand where we are coming from, where we are going, where we live, and how you communicate God's good news to different people. Great Commission. How many of you heard the word Great Commission? I want children to be involved, heavily involved in this preaching. Um, uh, I remember my first preach. Uh, uh, I think I did that in North Congregation. And Arnold was there. Mark Rush was there. Dan, I don't know whether you were there. Um, so, I don't know. People were sitting there. And that's my first preach. Never preached in English context before. And I did it. It went completely wrong. Because in India, when you, when you preach... It's very interactive. You know, the people are 
heavily involved in your preaching, not in your preaching notes. We don't use notes. We don't believe in notes, you know. So, and uh, as you're talking, people feedback and I feedback. And just uh, uh, when you're reading the scripture, for example, uh, John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If the uh, you just read it, you know. So there, on the last day of the feast, stop it, stop it. Wait, wait, wait. Can you tell me after that? On the last day of the feast, what did they do? Um, Jesus stood and cried out. You know, so people are very communicating. I did that in the North Congregation. It didn't go well. <laughs> I interrupted the lady was reading. I don't even remember who was that. Fifteen times as she was going through the scripture, you know. So stop, stop. Arnold was looking at me. What is going on, you know? <laughs> so, but he never, uh, I think probably he, he understood where I'm coming from. So I never did that again. I won't do that again. Okay, so you are quite safe in that situation. So, last commission. Children, have you heard about that word last commission? Or the, in, 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 it's mainly in Matthew chapter uh, 28. At the end, he said, okay, go and uh, preach the good news to the whole nation. One of the key words he was saying, Go and tell the good news. If somebody asks you to go, what do you do? Go. Where do you go? I don't know. Oh, that's, you know. So far, if somebody asks you to go, you ask me, where do you want me to go? So the next question is, okay, preach the good news to the whole world. Okay. Uh, let me go and, uh, go and preach the good news to the whole world. You know, you just go and tell the good news to the old people, and you end up in India, in Kerala, and you only speak mul- uh, in English, and you're talking to them in English, Jesus loves you. There's a pin drop silence like this. Because they didn't understand it, what you were trying to communicate. They didn't understand what you're trying to communicate. Is it an exciting news, Jesus loves you? Yes. Is it true? Yes. Is, it, is that what Jesus asked you to do? Yes. But the problem was they were not able to receive it because the language is different. Culture is different. They were, even though everything was fantastic, they want to hear that good news, but the delivering mode and the receiving modes are completely different, so it can go completely different. You don't need to go to India or Africa. That is the culture we are living in because of globalization. People on our next door, people living in our next street, people we are seeing at the school uh, gate, they are from different cultural backgrounds. And we are trying to communicate gospel in a way we learned through Bible reading from our children. And it is exciting, it's true, but unless and until we understand to whom we are communicating, can they really understand what I'm trying to communicate unless we, without changing the gospel, but we need to change the way we communicate, then they will hear the gospel. They will say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. This is the greatest, amazing good news I ever heard in my life. So they will come to kingdom of God. So that is the challenge we are facing. So, so Jesus said, Go and preach the good news. So let me explain you a little bit more. Okay, I will give the chance to the children now. So tell me how many nationalities or how many ethnicities or uh, you know through school, friends, or people on your street. Just go. Who, who likes to shout? 
This is very English, you know, okay? <laughs> Africa. Oh, yeah, people from Africa. Who is that? Oh, okay, he's not from Africa. I know that. <laughs> okay, Africa then? People you know from other countries? America. Children. America, yes. China. Oh, Chinese, okay, yeah. Wales, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit political and controversial in <laughs> Okay, Wales, yes. Pakistan, yeah, that's good, yeah. Any other countries? Yes. <laughs> oh, Scotland, yeah. <laughs> I think Dan will deal with the political issues, you know, I'll stick with the scripture. <laughs> okay, then. France, exciting. So, uh, and uh, through church, we know many people from different countries, you know. So, we have uh, uh, Sri Lankans, Indians, and uh, Uganda, and uh, uh, South Africa, and any other countries here from uh, Kenya, anyone else? Oh, Canada. And uh, yeah, so we have uh, people from different uh, countries there, you know. So, it's exciting uh, to, to, to see that we are a church growing with a multi ethnic, multi uh, uh, in a different dynamics. There are three different worldviews are in this world. So again, what does that mean by worldview? Ask your parents, you know, they have lots of time to explain that kind of things to you. The worldview, the, the way you see the world, that's called worldview. So for example, uh, relationships are seen in this country is uh, maybe a little bit, maybe may different the way People see relationship in a different country context. Marriage, uh, uh, the, the way you see is different. Let me give you a, a little bit of example. Okay, this is a Western country. This we live in West. In the West, mainly we see things through individual eyes. Okay, so for example, the way I see things, the way I analyze things, or for example, individualism is one of the core values. There's nothing wrong with that one. You know, so uh, uh, people think, oh, that's something, something completely bad. Now, so Jesus, when Jesus calling you uh, into his kingdom, he's not coming you as a family. He's coming you as an individual. You know? So there is a personal invitation to you. Everyone who call upon his name will be saved. You know, there is an individual inv invitation there. So we see things individually. And we see things in a right and wrong. This is right, this is wrong. That's the way we analyze things. And we mainly rely on law legislation written by government, and we try to follow that one. Okay, uh, so that, uh, that's the way. So if somebody breaks the law, what will they do? They will pay the penalty, they will go to the court, or that's the way we deal with that one. So, so, uh, so in the West, individualism, right or right and wrong, or law is mainly based on um, legislation, or individuals are submitted to a law, and the consequences will be dealt with uh, paying the penalty, going to prison, or that's the way we deal with that one. That's called, uh, uh, that's called a, uh, uh, I will say, Mm, guilt, innocent culture, you know, for example, if you did something wrong, you mainly feel guilty. And next, let me go to the Asian culture, so that will be, or Middle East, uh, that, that's called the honor and shame, you know, so honor and shame culture. In that kind of culture, individual doesn't matter, family matters, what I do is involving the whole family, you know, so, uh, so family matters, Community matters, and 
my relationship is based on, or my value is based on relationship, who do I know, and my reputation, um, and what kind of family I'm coming from, and the social status, whether I'm a doctor or engineer or wealthy family or poor family, it all affects the way I live and interact. And if I do something wrong, it will affect not only my brother, not only my sister, not only my mom and dad and family, it, will, it can affect the whole community. So things can go really, really bad. Good thing, when people coming to know Jesus from a Western context, the persecution level may be minimum because people say, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, go for it. If you want to be a conservative, go for it. If you want to be labor, go for it. If you want to be libdom, okay, go for it. If you want to, if you doesn't want to go to voting, it's absolutely fine. In India or in Middle Eastern context, it's completely different. If I follow a political party, my whole family will be part of that political party. Whether they right or wrong, whether they say that's kind of a legion or kind of a massive uh, or is this a group uh, kind of things. So when things go wrong, it's a dishonor to the whole family. So we call it shame, you know. So, and uh, when I do something right, it will bring honor to the whole family. Okay, um, and let me go to the other one. The other one is based on fear and power. So the first one we said, the Western context is guilt or innocence. I'm all right. I didn't do anything. Even if people accuse me, I know. I'm fine, individualism. So the second one we mentioned that mainly based on honor and shame. I bring honor to, uh, uh, I, I never try to bring honor to myself. Whenever honor comes to me, it will be shared corporately. It will be my family and community. So that's why when people coming to know Jesus, they are, when they follow Jesus, they will be severely persecuted because, not because of their individual beliefs, they are bringing the dishonor, the shame to the whole family. It may not be nothing to do with their personal decision to follow Jesus because you brought shame on us. So can you imagine that the whole bunch of people, thousand people think the same way, you brought shame on us, the impact on that individual will be really, really bad. So you will be burned to death. You will be kicked out from your family. You will be persecuted. You will, be, uh, you will lose your job. You don't get a, sometimes you don't get the opportunity to go to a shop and buy things from the shop because you are a Christian. Here it's completely different because you brought shame because culturally for years and years we were Muslims. For years and years we were Hindus. For years and years we are Buddhists. Now you bringing shame on us because you are trying to challenge our heritage and our, our well-beings and the way things are done. You're trying to shake the system now. Shame on you. You are out. So that's the way honor and shame it works in there. What is the good way? Is there a good thing in honor and shame? If a leader, if a, or the village leader, or a, a someone mainly well-known in the community read the scripture, and they came to know Jesus, what will happen? That will give the doorway to the whole city. <laughs> Can you understand what I'm trying to communicate? That's exciting. That's why when the prisoner or the jailer came to know Jesus, what happened? The whole family came to know Jesus. 
The Samaritan woman, you know, she might be, I don't know whether she was a sinful woman. Jesus never talked about any sinful issues there. Only talk conversation was the husband you have is not your husband. So Jesus never asked her to go and repent. Don't live a bad life, you know. So, but when she went back, they listened to her. The Bible says the whole village came to know Jesus. And they said, okay, thank you very much. Now your testimony was valuable in the beginning. Now we want to follow him as the whole city, you know, the whole group group of people coming to know Jesus. So that's the positive side of a honor and shame culture. The Latin American culture and some parts of Africa and some parts of India also is based on a spirit or, or kind of fear power culture. You know, people uh, living a life based on fear and power. If you're powerful to deal with the situation, you can overcome the fear. So if you have honor, you can reduce the shame. If you are innocent, you're not guilty. You know, so that's the way the worldviews work. You don't need to go to any of these countries now. They are here because of globalization. We are surrounded with people from different cultural backgrounds. When we're trying to communicate gospel with the guilt and innocence, they will not get it because this is completely different. So that's the place we need to communicate the gospel redemption. And uh, redeeming from say, uh, uh, shame, adoption. Oh, even if you look at the Bible, it is, it is 65 percentage is filled with the honor and shame, not guilt and innocence. If you look at a little more research, there are 300 different passages in the Bible pointing to in, uh, uh, the shame and honor. And there is only 150 talking about guilt. But in a Western context, because of the theology, because of the books we get, because of the way we are shaped, because of the uh, industrial revolution and the Christian uh, upbringing in one way or other way, we change that kind of biblical uh, language into guilt and innocence rather than honor and shame. When we go to other countries, we use the same tool of uh, guilt and innocence rather than taking honor and shame. But if you look at the Bible... God redeemed us. Is it a guilt talk or is it an honor talk? It's an honor talk. He adopted us into his family. Is it guilt and shame? No. It's an honor. Seated on the high. Is it a guilt and innocence? No. It's an honor and shame language. He is inviting us. Sorry, lots of cards coming out. Uh, uh, he is inviting us into his family. Is an honor. And he is coming back again. To, and he is inviting us to a big banquet. What is that? It's an honor. We are his bride. Is an honor? It is an honor. One time we were aliens. Now we are friends. Whew. You can see now, you, when you read next time, the eye will be opened and see, goodness me, God is mainly using the language of honor and shame, restoration, healing, redemption, uh, and uh, 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 like a, from death to life. In a guilt and innocence concept, death to life, what does that mean? I will go to NHS, they will put an injection, my sickness is gone. There is no concept of death to life, you know, resurrection. These kind of languages are quite alien to a Western context, but deep 
deep in the, inside their heart, because they're made in the image of God's likeness and goodness, they can understand this language. Many times, this being distorted in many ways because of individualism or, uh, uh, or uh, enlightenment or lots of things happen in their life. People lost the sensitive to understand God's intimate love. That's the place we are bringing good news. And when people are hearing the gospel of redeeming grace, they can feel it. If you are abused, if you've been you know, sexually abused, what will happen in this country? You will be persecuted and the person will bring to justice and uh, you will get some compensation. You live in a kind of guilt and uh, we use the word guilt, but deep inside, people live in shame. But we psychologists, psychiatrists, psychotherapists deal with the area of guilt. But shame is never dealt with. People still in, live in darkness. That is the place, the power of gospel going down there and rescuing that person, not just a legal boundary fixing, he is completely wholly redeeming someone's being to fullness. So that's why when we communicate the gospel, don't just uh, limit to guilt, innocent kind of things. There must be more than this. That's the place we need to step out in faith. Like uh, uh, Rachel was encouraging us, coming out, going forward. It might happen through hospitality, you know. So it may not, it, through spending time with someone, you cross the boundaries of guilt and innocence, you will go to the area of honor and shame. God wants to redeem you. God wants to invite you into the family. That's the, that's the way God wants to bring restoration into people's life. Okay, shame in culture of Northern European origin generally described on emotional or psychological taste, the reaction to a sense of sin or guilt. That is shame in our understanding. Honor is most worldviews, most of the cultural worldviews are, you know, just shaped by honor and view. For them, it's not a, uh, it's, it's not psychological state, it's a public statement of worth and value. On the one hand, non-worth and lack of value, on the other, redemption through the power of gospel. That's the place we are dealing with uh, shame and innocence through uh, uh, shame and honor, honor and shame in, 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 through the gospel. By 2020, 65% of the Christian will be living outside North America and Europe. Do you know that? <laughs> By 2020, 65% of Christians will be, will be outside America and Northern Europe. So Christianity lives there. No more there because of, because of globalization. They are here, there, and everywhere. So sharing the gospel is no more crossing the sea. It's seeing the cross wherever you are. It's completely different. Before that, 
from Hudson Taylor. We are going through, we, me and boys are going through the Hudson Taylor uh, uh, biography now. And I came to know that he lived, uh, he born in Barnsley, you know. So he had a connection with the Barnsley. I was thinking like, goodness me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, according to the statistics, through him, 100 million people came to know Jesus. I'm dead. <laughs> 100 million people coming to know Jesus. Somebody touched by gospel of grace in Barnsley. And what God is doing in, in China is mainly through that man because he, he heard God and he communicated the gospel, not in a guilt innocent way, through honor and shame in a Chinese cultural perspective that made a big difference to the gospel. Okay. The Bible is not our book, unfortunately. I know that. You might have a printed Bible with you. You bought it from the bookshop, but Bible is not our book. We can easily forget the scripture is, is in a foreign land, and the readers in the Bible is, is from all over the cultural backgrounds. The Bible is full of values that is strange to Westerners, the cultural values of the ancient Middle East, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Palestine, Arab, Arabia, Syria, the Romans, the Mediterraneans, that means it's like an iceberg. When you see, you will see only 10% of the iceberg, 90% is hidden under the water. The values and the system are under the water, but we can't deal with that through book. That's a deep-rooted issue. So how much we need God's grace to communicate God's gospel when we are dealing with the friends and families we are surrounded, they are coming from a different cultural point of view. Let me use some uh, uh, terminology from experts, you know. So, uh, someone called Jerome defined honor is, honor is the worth of values of persons both in their eyes and the eyes of the village or neighborhood of society. The critical item is public nature of respect and reputation. Honor and shame in the book of Matthew, you know, so that's, that's, a, uh, that's, that's the place I caught this one, you know, worth or value of a person born in their eyes, in the eyes of other villages or neighborhood or society. That is honor for me. There is no individual honor. My honor comes from you. My worth comes from you. So that's the way the, the honor comes. How does the shame work? The instinctly painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of loving and belonging. That is shame. I will read that again. The, uh, the, uh, the, the painful feeling of experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, uh, belonging and fear of disconnection. That is the place the shame comes. We, one way or other way, even though we live in a guilt and uh, innocence uh, kind of cultural context, we all carry this element of shame. In a Western context, we think, I think, therefore, I am. In an Eastern context or Middle Eastern context or an African context, I am because we are. Since we are there, for I am. <laughs> so it's completely different. The way I see my identity through corporate. For example, if a lady being in danger or a girl being caught by someone to do, you know, just like a, 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 in trouble, and she is dragged in the bush and trying to be beaten or something nasty to happen. And she saw that her uncle is cycling. This is happening in a Middle Eastern Asian culture or honor and shame. You know, she saw that her uncle is cycling through the street. What do we do? We shout, uncle, help. What do they do 
in that kind of culture, they will keep quiet. Because if they know that, the village came to know that, the whole community comes to know that, I'm touched by a man. It's not just me, my daddy, my mommy, my whole village will be dragged to shame. So let me suffer for the honor of my village. For us, oh my word. I can't believe that. That is the honor, shame culture. We think, what a foolish girl. In that culture, they will say, well done. You protected our honor. Well done. Or she may not say it to anyone, and she will bear the consequence by thinking, I want to protect the honor. This is the culture we are dealing with. Sometimes when we share the gospel to someone and say, this is quite straightforward. Even they say, yes, I understood it. I know that Jesus is the Savior. I know Jesus is the Messiah. He's coming back. I know he died for me. I know everything. It is true. But that is not the challenge. Humiliating my whole family. Bringing dishonor to my whole community. That is the battle. When we fail to see that battle, we're thinking, what's wrong with these people? But that's the place Jesus came to a place and rescued us. He didn't come to an innocent sin cultural context. He came to a culture with honor and shame. That's why he was humiliated. He was beaten to death. He spent time with the sinners. He is known as the friend of sinners. He touched the woman. He touched the lepers. He spent time with the tax collectors, you know. It is so ugly and nasty what he did. He didn't wait people to come and find him. No, he went to their house. He let them touch his cloak of the hem of the garment. And he demonstrated that this is the kingdom of God. And he didn't do it secretly. He did it publicly. That's the way he disarmed the work of the enemy brought the shame through the culture and crushed people and dragged through the mud what Jesus did. He didn't do it in secret. He demonstrated his mercy and his kindness publicly. Not only that, on the cross, he did that. The, the nastiest, vicious, scariest, most humiliated that you can ever have in the history. He carried it as a public spectator saying, you don't need to live in shame anymore. You're free now. So Jesus' life and death was a great demonstration of breaking the bondage of sin and shame and bringing honor into their life. If you look at the Old Testament, you can see honor is very much part of that. I will get my honor upon Pharaoh. That's in Old Testament. Honor your father and mother. That is one of the commandments from God with a promise. You will be blessed. Honor. 
you shall respect the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. So honor being repeated. Shame being mentioned many times in the Old Testament. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Even shame before sin in, 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 in the Bible, if you uh, look at it a bit more closely. The honor in the whole, old, old New Testament. Honor your father and mother. Again, it's been repeated. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the honor is not just to words. Honor your father and mother is not just a standing up when they're coming in. It's more than that. What Jesus has done in our life is not just in leaving us, setting us free from the penalty of sin and death. He saved us from the, you know, just like a depth of shame so we can walk in the real freedom. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You can see the language again and again. There are different types of honors in the New Testament, you know. Especially when it's coming to crown, you know, you will get a reward. There are incorruptible, you know, incorruptible crowns that's in Corinthians mentioning. The crown of life. Can you see the language? In an innocent culture, it won't work. Okay, crown of life, what does that mean? You know, okay. But in an honor culture, it's, it's completely different. Crown of life. Oh, that's what I'm waiting for. The crown of glory, those who faithfully care for the flock. You know, Jesus is talking about a language. You did the right thing. No, he's talking about you. You did the right thing, but there is an honor waiting for you because when you did the right thing, the intention behind that, not just doing the right thing, but you were honoring me. So the gospel of grace is demonstrated through the message of, uh, 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 through here, showing you're not just doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing out of reverence, out of love, out of excitement, out of celebration, out of understanding the depth of forgiveness you have received in your life. It's not just going to church. It's not just reading the Bible. It's not just not breaking the law. It's not just doing the right thing. It's more than that because you are captivated. You are captured by the depth of His forgiveness. So now you want to honor Him. So how do you do that? Hospitality. Love. Sacrifice, giving, and multitude of ways, you are honoring God in a different ways. So that's why, unless you understand the gospel in the deep sense of honoring, redemption, sometimes we can be living a legalistic terminology in a completely different world. There was a woman caught in adultery. Sorry, uh, Will was going to read that one, I think, because of the time. I'll skip that one. <laughs> he um, um, caught in adultery. They dragged them in front of the crowd. Their main intention was to humiliate Jesus. What did Jesus do? He handled the situation in a very, very different way. 
He said one word. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. In our cultural context, we may not think about having a just without any, any, any judge without any sin, you know, so it's impossible. The problem was, the reason the woman was dragged into the audience, that's in uh, John chapter 8, you know, if you, if you want to read the portion later, you know, John chapter 8, you know, so she was dragged into the midst of the crowd, and what shall we do with this woman? She caught in adultery. Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. She was humiliated. Her honor is gone. If Jesus said, kill her, Romans are waiting, he will be in trouble. They don't, tell, they don't ask the question, who killed the woman? He, they ask the question, who started it? Who started it? Jesus started. He will be immediately arrested. There is a tense situation happening. If Jesus said, oh, guys, we are ruled by Romans now. Wait a minute. Let's have a compromise now. And, you know, according to Allah, that is the reason she should be killed. But uh, uh, let her go now. What is the question? People say, he's a Pharisee now. Look at that. He's so covered. He, he, he can't deal with the law of Moses, you know. So he is, he's not the Messiah. Jesus in between that one. What did he do? He stepped out there. And he become the law, and he said, if you don't have any sin, if you don't have any sin, let him do that. So Jesus was demonstrating redemption of honor by implementing the law through righteousness and forgiveness and grace. That's what we need to do when we communicate the gospel. It's not just a salvation message, is it with grace? Is it the true righteousness of God? And how are we going to do this one? Jesus presents a call for reformation of life to both sides, the Pharisees and to the woman. He delivers a challenge to the consciousness of the accuser and yes, does he, he, run, he, he at the same time, he doesn't romanticize the sin of the woman. That rather, he lives with a challenge to reform lifestyle. In short, he does the woman and the man. He, he does say, woman and the man, you both are guilty because you both are sinners. The amazing part they want to save their face, you know. The younger one look at the older one. The older one look at the older than one. And they said, okay, if you're not doing it, I'm not doing it. If you're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. If you're going to do it, I'm not doing it. Everyone dropped their stone and they walked away. And the lady was saved. The story didn't finish there. Now, who took the anger now? These Pharisees are furious against Jesus when this woman is spared. The woman is not for stoning, but I am there to bear that shame in her place. And he did publicly. After a couple of days and weeks, Jesus died on the cross, bearing the shame of this woman. 
he took the anger of people and the anger of God because all the shame was upon him. And he died on the cross. We don't know whether this woman followed Jesus or not. But the order of leaving an opponent, how do we respond to his call? He took our shame and our punishment. When we meet people, go with the redemptive gospel of grace. Through hospitality, through love, through spending time, through praying with them. Because the gospel we communicate in our generation is not just the innocent and guilt. It's mixed with the honor and shame and fear and power and innocent guilt. Let's pray to God. Let's stand in the presence of God. And uh, let's pray to God. God, we need your grace to communicate your gospel to the people we are facing every day. Your grace is enough, God. They might be from huh, our neighborhood, from other country, from other difficult background. They might be abused and bruised and uh, they are living under the shame and the sin. And they might be homeless. They might be uh, divorced. They might be broken. They might be rejected. They might be wealthy, but living under fear. But your gospel is sufficient to everyone. Your gospel is sufficient to everyone. But only thing we need, your grace to communicate the way they can understand.